All right, so this morning is our last week in the book of James. We've been going through it for several weeks now throughout the summer. And uh, we've been looking at lots of practical things, how-tos, how to grow as a Christian, how to... Um, last week, Rachel spoke about how to remain steadfast in trials. Um, she did a great job, didn't she? So blessed and encouraged last week by, by Rachel, which she had to bring. Uh, we've looked at how to handle your anger, how to tame the tongue, things like that. And today we're talking about arguably one of the most important aspects of life. Um, certainly the biggest privilege that we have as human beings. Talking about the subject of prayer. Uh, and looking at it from this angle of how to, let's see if this works, how to pray, how to pray. James begins his letter in the same way that he ends it. He began it with an encouragement to remain steadfast in trials and told them to pray. He said, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And then he said, if you lack wisdom, ask God. So he does those two things. And he does the same at the end here in chapter 5. In Rachel's section that she looked at last week, seven times James talks about the importance of patience and steadfastness. And now in the section that I'm going to read, seven times he talks about the importance of prayer and the difference that praying can make. Um, And I feel like I need to just start any sermon on on the subject of prayer with a big disclaimer. Um, I, I find this really hard. I find prayer difficult and I'm not standing here this morning saying how to pray well let me tell you what I do and you can all be more like me that is that couldn't be further from the truth Um, I need as much help on this as possible uh, as do many of us I'm sure prayer is a difficult thing it involves a lot of emotional wrestlings and energies and sometimes when I get down to to pray uh, my mind wanders Uh, I fall asleep while praying wake up in the morning and say amen what a lovely long prayer time that was Uh, So I struggle to know whether or not God hears me sometimes. I struggle to know whether or not God answers my prayers sometimes. A mixture of doubt, failure, stuff like that. So uh, I love reading books on prayer because they help me to pray. I love reading scriptures on prayer because it helps me to pray. And I think as a church we need to encourage one another and teach about prayer often because it is such a privilege and yet it is also something that's really hard. Um, I take comfort in the fact that every human civilization on earth prays or has in its system or society some form of calling out to the divine. Uh, In fact, attempts to find civilizations that don't have religion or don't have prayer in them have have failed. Uh, One theologian says that it's part of the God sickness in each of us. There's a, a need and a yearning within each of us to connect with God and to connect with the divine. The Bible says that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And having been made in the image and likeness of God, we're designed to live in friendship and fellowship with him. So prayer is hard, but prayer is universal. Uh, Whether you're a Christian or not, um, a lot of people pray and try to contact God in some description. Prayer is also extremely important for us. I'm sure you can testify to that. Uh, some people have said that actually there's, there's no better way to discern your, your spiritual health than to look at your prayer life. It's rather like going to the doctors and having your blood test. They can tell all kinds of things about you. So it's true when it comes to the subject of prayer, how your prayer life is, what your prayer life is like, is often a good indication into the insight of your spiritual health. <laughs> Which if you're anything like me, when I hear, when I read statements like that or hear statements like that, I go, oh great, thanks a lot. But that's okay, because that's why we're here, aren't we? To learn and to grow. Uh, A book I read on prayer by by Tim Keller called Prayer, funnily enough, I'd recommend that to you. But in that book, 
He remembers an occasion in his married life where they were experiencing all kinds of difficulties. And there's one occasion in particular where his wife said to him, uh, something that's really stuck with me. She said this, Imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. And she says this, well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. Twelve years later, he says, they've never gone a day without praying. And I find once we grasp the importance of prayer, And the delight and privilege of prayer becomes something that we pursue. So let's read together from the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. I'll read and the guys at the back hopefully follow along on the screen. Here we go. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. So that's how James ends his letter to a group of displaced refugee Christians. So when we talk about prayer, what exactly are we talking about? Well, John Calvin, the reformer, he said that prayer, he gave a good definition of prayer. He said prayer is a communion of men with God. John Knox, writing around a similar time, he said prayer is earnest and familiar talking with God. Communion of men with God, earnest and familiar men talking with God. Good, helpful, kind of watertight definitions. But I like this other definition I came across. My favorite definition of prayer is that prayer is this. I think it comes up here actually. Faith made audible. Prayer is just faith made audible. It's faith out loud. So I like that. Because when I say we're talking about prayer, you could fall into the trap of thinking, oh great, that sounds dull. Prayer is dull. It conveys this, this dull image of people kind of going, oh Lord, I want to pray. Here I am to pray. I don't want to pray about one minute. We pray. Let's pray. And I was like, oh, do we have to pray? It's hard. It involves energy. It's dull. We're not talking about prayer so much as we're talking about life with God. Your faith out loud, whether you're sighing to God in exasperation, whether you're calling out to God in desperate need, whether you're just enjoying God, it's all prayer. It's faith out loud, a life with Him. We're not so much talking about prayers, we're talking about friendship with God, communing with the divine, developing a relationship with Him, or altering reality from your knees. That's what we're talking about when we talk about prayer. And actually, many of us know the, 
the thrill of seeing God answer prayers, don't we? This last week, uh, I had the, the privilege of taking something around to someone and being the means of an answer to prayer, if you like. Um, so last Sunday, someone here, don't know who, put uh, a gift in the offering bucket for some people in the church. Um, so I took the envelope and took it around their house. I got to be postman. And it was great. As I gave this family the envelope, didn't know what was in it, um, the lady said to me, oh, this is so good because just this morning I was praying for money to do, my, to do our grocery shopping. And now here I was being able to be the means for answered prayer. That's so exciting for her, for me, for, for those of us involved going, God answers prayer. When we ask for things, he answers. I'm sure many of us, if we sit for long enough, can think about times that God has answered our prayers and we go, that was life-alteringly exciting. Now there's the flip side where we go, but it's hard when God doesn't say yes to prayer. You might say wait, you might say no even, he's allowed to do that. But as Christians, we know God is a God who answers prayer. And actually James says in the bits that we read, uh, I don't know if you can read that, it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. When you pray, there is great power in it. As a, as a church here in Seaford, we've been going for nearly five years. Five years next Sunday, it's our birthday. Um, and for the past few years, we've been thinking about and talking about, praying about whether or not we could get a building in Seaford to get out of the school and have to do all the setup costs and rental costs and things like that. And um, about a year ago, we started praying about it more regularly as a church, bringing it to our monthly prayer events as we gathered, asking God, please let us not wait forever. Let's get a building, that'd be great. And there's one particular building in town that we had our hearts set on. Well, around last October, we felt God speak to us and say, yes, you can have this building. And so rather sheepishly, we approached the people involved and it turns out God may well have been opening a door for us. Certainly that's how it felt last October. So I shared some of that news. Uh, we can't really share it too publicly, but we shared it at prayer meetings and we've been gathering and talking about that. That was last October. A door seemed to be opening because we prayed, because we felt God speak to us. Um, then things kind of went quiet for a bit and we've been praying and just asking God and trusting and waiting on God. Um, a few weeks ago, Paul Jeffrey and I got together and we just spent some time praying and saying, God, please, can we have the building? We're still waiting. We're still we're getting a lot of setbacks, discouragements. Are we going to be able to have a building for the church in Seaford? Two weeks ago, there's massive new development, and it looks like the door is opening even wider for us. Um, and it looks like there may well, in fact, be a likely possibility that we could have a building in Seaford before long, um, which is really exciting and it's mainly exciting for me because I think we're not doing anything except praying. That's, that's all we're doing. And so I, kind of full of excitement and faith and expectation, I just sat down this last week with our church treasurer and the trust manager, just shared with him the story of us praying and prophetic words and we feel God and the things that have developed. And after I finished, he said to me, he said, you in Seaford considering a building, he said, um, I think that is nothing more than a, just a pie-in-the-sky idea that you should not be considering. You're not ready for it. And my kind of big bubble of enthusiasm went... <laughs> and he wasn't being mean when he said that. He was speaking with a hat of reality on, <laughs> which my wife sometimes says I struggle to put on sometimes. But he, was, he said to me, as a church, you have 
49 members, uh, 27 giving units of families or people who give regularly. He says, as a church, you can't even afford to pay me a full-time wage. How can you as a church even be thinking about getting a building, he said. And I thought, you sound right. (laughs) And maybe he is right. Maybe it is far too premature and early for us as a church to be getting excited about stuff like this. Maybe. Fully open to that. But maybe God has spoken. And maybe God is going to make possible something that would otherwise be impossible, improbable, and unrealistic and irresponsible, frankly. But maybe God has spoken. What I know is the key to discerning the way through in all this is prayer, is keep bringing it to God, keep saying, I think you said, what can we do about this? Please help with this. James says the prayer of a righteous person has power in its working. And just before we get intimidated about righteous person, that sounds, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a righteous person. You should see what I did yesterday. He goes on and says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So he says, the righteous person's prayer has power. Let me give you an example of what a righteous person is. It's Elijah. Okay, so let's just take a moment to consider Elijah. Elijah did amazing things when he prayed. It says there, he prayed fervently. Actually, the original language doesn't have the word fervently. It just says, with prayer, he prayed in the original. So they go, oh, that sounds like fervent prayer. With prayer, he prayed. The power in prayer isn't the energy you put into it, isn't the length of time. The power comes from the fact that you pray. With prayer, he prayed. And actually, Elijah prayed and it stopped raining for three and a half years. Elijah prayed and he defeated the prophets of Baal who were leading the people astray at one time. Elijah saw amazing answers to prayer. But before Elijah saw any of those answers to prayer, God prepared him in the secret, quiet place. In 1 Kings chapter 17, um, it says, God says to Elijah, now go and hide yourself. And for a time, Elijah spent his life in obscurity, just learning to trust God, learning to get to know God. There's three tests or three things that Elijah learns in 1 Kings chapter 17 in the secret place. He learns that God is able to provide for him personally. He learns that God's able to provide for the needs of a widow that he's staying with. And he learns that God is able to raise the dead when the widow's son dies under his, when he's living there. Elijah learns those things and then steps out and does some amazing things. But James wants us to be encouraged. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Or other translations just put it, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a man just like us. It's true that he experienced some big wins in his life. He was a man of incredible faith. Uh, He was a man who was committed to the purposes of God. He was brave and courageous. He was determined. And on occasion, he was filled with just a selfless concern for others. But as well as having big wins in his life, Elijah also was familiar with big losses. On occasion, he was prone to the depths of despair and depression. On one occasion, asking God to end his life because he considered it over. He ran for his life at the first hint of trouble. And on occasion, again, filled with self-pity. I'm the only one left among the believers. They've all gone, he says, in a moment of self-pity. I hear that and I think, oh, that's like me. I might have some highs, but I think I've got more lows than I have highs. And I can relate to a man like that. Actually, it was in the quiet place that Elijah learnt these moments 
learned these things about God and prayer so that when he was at his lowest point and he wanted his life to be over, he didn't take his life. He didn't consider taking his life. He prayed about it, but he prayed. Even in a place of utter depression, he had the apparently superhuman strength to pray, to call out to God. It's because he had learned some things before that moment. Okay, so let's take it, from the, take it from the life of Elijah and from James. And I just want to chuck out, in the 15 minutes that we've got left or so, I want to chuck out six things to help us with the how to pray. Six things. Some of them from James, some of them just from other books and things that I've read this uh, past weekend before that. So, firstly, James says this. Pray in all different times and in all different ways. He says in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If he, is he sick? Let him call for the elders and they'll pray. All different times, all different ways, all different seasons. Whether you are struggling and finding life really quite difficult or whether things are going very well for you, James says the answer is still the same. See, praying in times of adversity, it may not change the situation, but it does change us and enable us to approach things differently. But James knows that these two things, whether despair or delight, if you like, they are two of the things that are most often drive a wedge between us and God and cause us to leave him. On the one hand, when life is particularly difficult, we can be given to despondency and discouragement, bitterness can set in, doubt can set in, and before long we can find ourselves away from God. I don't, I don't want to pray. We find it hard. But on the other hand, James says, if things are going well for you, you also need to be singing praise. You need to be giving thanks. Because prosperity is also something that can drive us away from God. When life is going well for you, it's when you're most prone to think, I don't really need God. I'm okay on my own. We fall into the illusion of self-sufficiency. James says, that's why you need to pray. Tim Keller says that, um, he says, our whole life ought to be so angled that whatever strikes upon us, we might deflect it instantly upwards into God's presence. Angle your life in that way. Second thing of how we can pray, we're to pray on our own and we're to pray with others. So he's got the, the person who's in need, says pray, the person uh, who calls for the elders and the person who's to gather with his friends and pray. Now we're, we're, not familiar, we're not unfamiliar with the first two ideas. Pray on your own. Yeah, I do that. Jesus says go into your room where, where you're on your own and talk to your father who's in secret. Do that, do that. We're not, fam- we're not unfamiliar with the idea of calling the elders to come and pray for us when we're sick or calling for people to come and help us. But the one that I guess we probably find the hardest is the way he says, get together with your friends and pray together. Praying out loud with others for many Christians is a source of huge anxiety. Certainly it was for me. Uh, in the first few years of my Christian life, um, no matter what time, even if it was in the depths of winter, if I was at Life Group and we suddenly started praying, we'd open all the windows because it would get so hot in there because we'd get so nervous. We'd start sweating buckets. The body heat would just glow because we're just so nervous. What if I say the wrong thing? What if they laugh at me? What if I go on too long and I open my eyes and they're all gone? What if someone dies when I pray? What if they laugh at me? It is, for many of us, 
a source of huge anxiety. I'll pray on my own in my head so no one can hear me, but with others, I can relate to that. I understand that. We have to push through on that. So some of the things that we find hardest, we need to push through on. And actually, just a couple of pieces of advice or rules, if you like, to help us when we're praying with others. I would just say two things. Work hard at dereligializing, making yourself sound less religious in prayer when you're with others, and work hard at not being too long. <laughs> Those two things are almost the only things you need to worry about. When I pray with someone, I just want to try to be as normal as possible because I can pray normally when I'm on my own and talk to God like a dad or a father or a friend. But I don't know if you have this experience. So often when I then sit down with Christian friends to pray, I get very religious. I sound very good, or I can. I can quote Bible verses at my friends and God. And I'm never too sure, if I'm honest in my own heart, if I'm praying or trying to impress. So one good way of detoxing from that, I think, is when you pray, just try to sound as dumb and as normal and as everyday as possible. Just put that out there. The other thing is just be aware of your length. Like, going on too long is my big issue. <laughs> Again, there have been times when I've been praying with people and I've opened my eyes and they have gone because they just decided, this is too long. In fact, Graham, at least the church, takes great delight in doing things like that. You know, there's been times when we've been in prayer meetings as elders. Someone starts praying and Graham taps everyone and goes, let's go. And so we just walk out of the room and they open their eyes and go, oh. Because we're to pray with one another, we're to try to help one another, encourage one another, and, um, and actually taking up half an hour when you've got 20 other people isn't the best use, or isn't the best way to pray together. That's just all I would say as an encouragement. So those are the first two things that James says. Pray all different times in different ways, on our own and with others. And then using Elijah, pray using the Bible. Pray using the Bible. So Elijah's example here. I don't know if this has ever struck you as harsh, but... Elijah is living in an ancient Middle Eastern context where people are desperately poor. It's an agrarian farming society. And Elijah prays that it would stop raining. And it does for three years. That's an, a funny prayer to pray and a strange thing for God to do, to basically afflict this land and his people with a drought. Actually, Elijah isn't just picking a random prayer out of it. Oh, um, let's just pray for no rain. No, he's remembering what it says in Deuteronomy. And in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, there's a promise where God says, if you turn to other gods, I will stop the rain. So Elijah remembers that. He goes, wait, this nation, this people at this time in history are worshipping every god other than the real God. I remember that promise. And he prays that. So it wasn't just a random thing that he did. Elijah picks up scripture and applies it to his day. Praying the Bible is a very effective and useful way um, for, to, to know that you're praying the right things and praying in the right way, if you like. Actually, when you pray the scriptures, you can be very bold because you can pray God's promises back to him. You have said, I'm not making this up. This isn't an idea of my own. You have said, God, you've said you're a God of families. You are the father from whom every family comes. Therefore, I pray for my family, for my son, my daughter. You've said that you're a father to the fatherless. You've said, God, that you provide for my every need. You told me to pray that in the Lord's Prayer. I can pick up that promise and pray it with 
confidence because you've said. You've said, God, that I don't need to be filled with anxiety, but instead you've said that the peace of God will guard my heart. You have said, God, now do it, God, do it, God. You can be bold when you pray the promises of God. It's what Elijah does. It's what I'd encourage us to do. Actually, learning to pray is a lot like learning to speak. When you were kids, um, you learned to speak. Uh, and we can't remember it because it's so long ago. So many of us might fall into the trap of thinking, one day I just decided to start speaking. It was my idea. I took the initiative. And then I started announcing my thoughts to the world. And I've never stopped. But actually, that wasn't what happened. When you were a child, you learned to speak as people spoke to you. And it was only after months and years of people speaking words to you that you then began to speak words of your own and your brain began to form them. And when you were a child, you said some funny things as you were learning. You said some inappropriate things. Riley, when he started learning to speak, his favorite animal for a while was a shark, but he couldn't say shh. He used to say instead. So everywhere we went, he would carry a toy shark with him and he would talk about his toy, not his toy shark, but his... I'm not going to finish that. And we would get very embarrassed. Like, he didn't say that. He said shark. And we think, oh, no, what do people think of us as parents? What have we been teaching our son to say? He doesn't say shark. He says this horrible word. But we didn't reprimand him. We didn't say, stupid boy, never speak again until you've learned to speak properly. No, we didn't. We just kept talking to him, correcting him, teaching him the right way to say things. Learning to pray is like that. It's only as we understand what God has said to us and we hear God's word spoken to us, that we learn to pray. So get hold of this book. Use it in your quiet times, the beginnings of your day, the ends of your day, with your friends, through sermons, bring your Bible, read it, read it, read it. Why? Because you're not just trying to get stuff in here. You're trying to learn how to pray. As the Lord has spoken to us, we're then able to speak back to him. Okay, that's our third thing. Oh, Skipped ahead. Fourthly, we learn how to pray by planning to pray. Now this one could just sound very regimented and very cold. Isn't that, oh, I have to make a plan to do that? Shouldn't it be spontaneous? Shouldn't it come from my heart out of the overflow of delight? Yeah, it should. But the things that are most important to us, we plan. So I love Amy more than any other person in the whole world. More than my kids. They're going to leave home one day, but she's stuck with me. I love her, and because I love her, we plan times together. It's not enough to just hope that we bump into each other from time to time and say, how was your day? We plan to spend time together because we love each other. And actually, I take great delight in planning some surprises from time to time. Every, once every 10 years or so, I'll plan a surprise. I'll plan it not because I'm feeling dutiful and I must. No, it's because I love her that I make time for it and things that are important but don't always feel natural to us we have to plan until they feel natural so you're all very very busy people but all of you managed to get dressed today before leaving the house which we're very grateful for some of you took a long time over getting dressed this morning even though you're very busy you did it and we're grateful you look wonderful some of you got dressed very very quickly and you also look good my point is that getting dressed isn't something that comes naturally to us. I know this because I have two young boys at the moment. In fact, I have one young child who takes great delight in taking his clothes off at any opportunity and running around the house and running around wherever we are nude. 
a few weeks ago, we were in Eastbourne. He needed the toilet. We're in the high street. Everything comes off. I need the toilet. So we have to plan. You will get dressed today, son. I don't want to get dressed. I hate getting dressed. That's just Amy. That's what we have to do. Too far, probably. We have to lay clothes out for him. We have to say, this is, your, this is what I hope. Before you start your day, you're going to do this first. I don't want to do it. It feels unnatural, but you're going to do it because it's important. We need to make a plan, make a plan for important things. Fifthly, we pray by developing a method that works for us. Develop a method that works for you. So some of the Don Carson, the theologian, says, Many people like to use um, all kinds of different things to help them pray. So some people have maps on their walls to remind them, visualize. Some people put pictures around them to help them pray. Some people have lists coming out of their ears just because they're like list people. And I'll add that to my shopping list and that to my prayer list. And here we've got two lists and here we go. Life is good because I have lists. Lists don't work for me. I don't, stru- I don't help. I came across something that does work. I just thought I'd hold up here. Um, I use cue cards. Um, so I find very helpful. Little cards, one per person. So that I haven't got long lists of things. Keep them in my Bible or in this little index box at home. And uh, when I come in my planned time to pray, if I'm struggling and know what to do, I'll, I'll grab one of these. And uh, I have this is I have one per person. This one for Riley. Got a couple of Bible verses on it. I'll read those Bible verses out loud, and then I'll pray those verses back to God to help get my boilers lit, to help get me going. And then I have a couple of headline things of things that I want Riley to have. And so I have one for Riley and Zach. I have one for the church here. When I hear of things that are going on, I say, I'll put that on the index card. So as, we, as I sit down, I know I've got these things to help me pray. But it's not such a long list that just goes on forever. Because for me, that works. I find that helpful. But find a method that works for you. And sixthly, it's gone. Um, sixthly, pray like a child. Pray like a child. If you're a new Christian especially, you might have wrestled with, well, when, I, when I pray, what am I allowed to say? Like, what words am I supposed to use? Do I have to read it off a, of a piece of paper? Can I speak from my heart? Doesn't that just get a little bit rambly? Sometimes it does. Um, what if I fall asleep when I pray? What if I ask for the wrong things? What if I don't believe the things that I'm asking God for? Is he going to get angry at me? So the kind of the questions that we might ask. And the answer to all those questions, I think the answer is, well, it depends. It depends on what basis you're coming to God in the first place. Are you coming to God as an employee, as a servant? I'm here to serve you. Tell me what to do so I can serve you and make your will known. Do you come to God as um, just a member of his created world? Ah, I just pray because I'm a creation, your creator God. I'm sitting in reverence before you. Depends how you're going to pray. Do you pray to God like an enemy, just groveling before him for mercy, desperately scared of him? Or do you pray as a child? Those different ways of praying, but that answers that question of, well, what do I say? How do I pray? Jesus, when he walked on the earth and taught us to pray, he said, revolutionary, this was our Father in heaven. Jesus, more than anyone else in the Bible, calls God his Father. He related to him like a son relates to a a dad. And I don't think it was a a formal father, like a Victorian dad in the sky. No, it was dad. I have um, a Hebrew cousin, and um, he addresses his dad with the word Abba. And so we were at a family wedding many years back, and I remember just hearing him as as a grown man saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. I was like, that's what Jesus did. He spoke to his father with that tender word, Abba. 
dad. You think, well, good for Jesus, good for Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can do that too. If you're a Christian, you approach God as a child approaches a father. You start from a position of utter acceptance before God. How many times have you, like me really, sat down to pray or got up to pray or whatever I did and, and I haven't done it for a long time. And I come in and I'm like, oh, hello, me again, I feel so bad. Um, let me just work up some religious feeling and then I'll, let me just say sorry for everything first. If I say sorry, then I feel like I might be able to look you in the eye. I'm sorry that I haven't prayed for over a year. I'm sorry that I haven't read my Bible this week. Actually, as children of God, if you're a Christian, actually, you don't need to do that. Jesus says, when you pray, do this, our Father in heaven. Or in other words, my dad without limits. There's nothing you can't do. And it's easy for us as Christians, people who are familiar with church, to lose the wonder of that. Imagine going to visit a friend who um, had an apartment near a train track. And you've been talking for a few minutes and then suddenly the, the whole place begins to shake and this train rattles by. Startled, you say to your friend, what was that? What was what, they say. What do you mean what was what? What was that noise? Oh, that, that was the train. I guess I've lived here so long, I don't even notice it, they might say. That's impossible, you feel, but it isn't. And you know what it's like when you've lived near train stations or lived near noisy things. After a while, you just block it out. As Christians, we don't ever want to lose the wonder of this. You pray as children. God says, pray to me like this, our Father. Let's not lose the wonder of that. Let's not just become dull to the noise that that should create. See, those, that concept ought to be the thing that puts fuel in our boilers and lights us and gets us ready for the day. I come as a child, I come as a son. And sometimes when I pray, I'll go for a prayer walk and set a timer and I'll pray for half an hour just walking along talking to God. And sometimes I don't ever get past that first point. I just want to remind myself I'm a son because that affects how I approach everything else in my life. I don't need to approach everything like a, a scared servant or a scared enemy going, please love me, please be kind to me. I don't, I can walk through life head up. I'm loved by the king. What did I do to deserve that? Nothing. In fact, the only thing I contribute to my salvation is my sin. God does all the rest. So those are six things that we can do. And praying as a child means that you can, you can be bold, you can be frank with God, you can be wrong. You can ask for things that the Father's like, honestly, you don't want that. <laughs> or that's the wrong thing to pray for. I think it was Billy Graham's wife who said, I'm so God that so glad that God doesn't answer every one of our prayers because if he did I'd have got married to the, I would have married the wrong man several times <laughs> God says no quite often it's like no from my vantage point you don't want to play with that son you don't want that I do I really want that like, no you don't put the scissors down <laughs> but you can never fail as a son or a daughter when you come to God in prayer you can do all kinds of things you can be wrong you can be bold you can be frank you can be but you can never fail because you start from a position of acceptance so those six things we pray in all different times and ways. We pray on our own and with others. Pray using the Bible. Pray by planning it. Pray by developing a method that works. And we pray as children. See, prayer is a huge privilege, as I mentioned at the start. And unless we learn to pray, we're not going to see anything like the kind of exciting things in our lives that we want. My soul's never going to find its complete satisfaction in my Father unless I'm regularly driving myself to Him. As a church, we're never going to get a building 
unless we pray. Might be five years from now, could be 10 years, but I know we'll get there because of prayer. We're never going to slay the giants in our lives unless we learn to pray. You're never going to see the change in your family that you want, really want to see unless you pray and you get God's will for that situation. You're never going to see your workplace change like you want it to. You're never going to use your gifts in the way that God's designed them to be used until you learn to, well, Jesus used the word abide. Same kind of idea. Pray, abide, remain in him. Develop friendship with him. So as we end this teaching series on James, that's my plea to us as a church, that we'd be people who say, I really want to learn how to do this. This is a big privilege. I need to do this. Like Kathy Keller, Tim Keller's wife, if I don't get this, if we don't get this, we're never going to make it. We're never going to make it. We could hire buildings. We could, we could coerce people into playing in the band or serving in the kids' work. But unless we're a people who move forward on our knees, we're just building out of straw. Any moment, it's gone. We want to be a people who hunger after God in prayer. Let's pray. Dad, we want your help. I really want your help. We want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church of people who, though busy, we recognize the place of importance that spending time with you can have, maybe should have in our lives. Ask Holy Spirit that you would make us a praying people. The Spirit of God who lives in each one of us. That I pray, Spirit of God, that you would, you would make our lives very uncomfortable until we learn to pray and to draw near to you. I pray it wouldn't be unusual for friends in this church to say to each other, let's pray about that right now. I ask, Dad, that it would be a natural thing for us to be like children before you. We're so excited that we get to be led by you. We submit ourselves to your leading, your guiding. Help us, Father. Why don't we stand together?